Right, you can be turning your Bibles to First John, and I've noticed a, a lot of people are visiting, I'm assuming, for Mother's Day. And as a, a former missionary who lived in a different culture for a long time, as I listen, I, I listen as an outsider many times, and we just sang a song about Jesus being the lily of the valley, and Varian mentioned the order of Melchizedek, and you, you, you know, you might hear some things that might be strange to you, a little bit different. And that's okay if you if you we, we encourage you to ask questions. And so if you hear something or observe something that's a little bit odd or different, uh, we are a little bit odd and different. So we uh, welcome you and we want you to just ask us questions and find out you know why why are we saying the things that we're saying. You know, talking about Mother's Day, um, I left home at 19 years old to go to college, and I think I moved about a thousand miles away uh, from North Dakota to Arkansas, figure it out, I think it was around a thousand miles. And um, then uh, since that time, I've, except for short periods like uh, Christmas or summers or something like that, I've uh, I've been away from my parents, uh, you know, uh, several hundred to several thousand miles away, uh, depending on the year. So last year they moved here, and it's been it's been really neat. It's been wonderful to me to have my parents just a ten minute drive away, and to see them here on Sundays and see them at Wednesday nights and uh, be with them has been a, a blessing. Um, talking about a little bit of my way I view my mother, um, 1986 or so, we were living in New York City. We were living in the borough of Staten Island, and Julie and I wanted to go to a seminar in Boston, and we had three little children. Now, a lot of you know Angel, and she still you know how active she is, even as a 30-something-year-old, her little Ayana is about as active as she was. And so we just, we couldn't bring three little kids with us up there. And so um called my mother and asked her if she would fly and come into Staten Island and watch the children while we went up there. Back in those days, some of you may remember a, an airline called People's Express. Well, if you're old enough, you might remember that. Cut rate, you know, that you if you want a cup of coffee, you paid a quarter for it. And uh, flights were cheap. And so she could fly in fairly cheap on that, and then we could fly, I think, to Boston for $29 from New York, so from New York, New Jersey to, uh, to uh, Boston. And so my mom came in, and I picked her up from the airport, and then I think the, the next day or so, I, I said, let's drive to the airport. I'm going to show you where you're going to drop us off and how to get back. And we drove across the Bayonne Bridge, and we went to the people you know, where the airline was and circled back around and said, now, you can drop us off and you can pick us up. And my mother says, in driving in New York, I, I can't do that. And I said, Mom, you can do anything. And that's the way I, I've always viewed my mom. She can do, and she can, can't she? <laughs> Those of you who know her, she can just about do anything. She's 81 now, and she does it a little bit slower, but she can do about anything she sets her mind to. And so I'm thankful for her and, and her example to me in my life. You know, we have, to be, we have to be careful with examples, and we have to be careful how we, what we do. And I wanted to, show, to share with you something before we get into the lesson. This is from Facebook posts. My grandson, Jonah, there, preaching from 1 John. Michael, turn in your Bible to 1 John. 
Jesus is the light. He is not dark at all. And so at least one person has been listening. And I'm thankful for that. But I said, boy, you know, if, if my, how old is now, five, five-year-old is listening like that, either I'm saying it a lot of times or he's picking that up. And so I hope as we listen, yeah, I'm saying it a lot of times, as we listen to that, we, let's, uh, I, I need to watch my example here too. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 of chapter 3, and we're we're going to cover it to a, a to a degree, and we're probably going to come back. I'm pretty sure we're going to come back to it next week. There's a lot of material there. And in our last lesson, we were looking at Cain's motivation and the world's motivation in regard to love. And if you look at verse 12 and 13, John says here, "Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother." And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. And so we're looking at those two things. Cain, who is the extreme of love, the extreme opposite of love, the antithesis of love. We're looking at Cain and his actions and looking at the world. And we find that both of them, their source of motivation, of what they operated out of, their origin was the, was really, we could say it was anti-love. It was the opposite of love. It was a self-love that was expressed as hatred. And the definition of hatred biblically is active uh, opposition to what is right and what is good. So Cain's actions stemmed out of who he was. These, these were, this was the source of his actions, just as any of our actions do. We're, when we act out of something, we're acting out of a source or an origin. And so, John says he was of the evil one. He acted in selfishness. He reacted to Abel's righteousness, his righteous behavior, and he murdered him. And I know that's an extreme example, but John wants us to look at that extreme example here. So he goes on to then say, now, don't be surprised, you Christians, don't be surprised if the world does the same thing. If the world actively opposes you, if it has the same reaction to your righteous behavior as Cain did to Abel's. He says, don't be naive. Don't be surprised. Don't be naive if these things happen. If you live out your Christian life, your behavior becomes more and more like Jesus, more and more in line with who Christ is. You will be opposed. You will be resisted. You will be hated. And so then he goes into the next few verses and he begins to talk about our source or our origin or our motivation as far as Christian love is concerned. He gives an example in this passage and he gives an application. And we're not going to be able to get too much into the example and application. We'll touch on that next week. But we're going to, we're going to touch on it this week. We'll talk about it next week. But let's read verses 14 through 18 together. He says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, 
but with actions and in truth. We come to the section and we see this word know. We know. And it's a word that's used over and over in the book of John, the book, in this letter of 1 John. And I notice as I read through this, this little book that John states so many things so matter-of-factly, so black and white, that often, it's, it, maybe it's not your reaction, but it's my reaction. It's just to kind of throw up my hands and say, well, if that's so, I, I, I don't even feel like I'm a Christian. Or how can I be a Christian if that's so? And especially when he is, it's true when he says, you know this or you know that. And we reply, but I don't know. I don't know. Or I, I'm really not sure if I know. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, a, a tension within me. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life. We know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. A lot of times say, well, do I really know this? In fact, do I really love my fellow Christians? Let me state this. If you're a Christian, you do know this. You know it. My problem and your problem is we forget it. We forget it. We need to be reminded. Some of us are lazy in our thinking. We haven't considered what we know for a while. So we're hesitant. To be really confident because we haven't really been considering this. And that's really one of the reasons we get together on a two or three times a week. To sit down together, to study God's word, to be reminded once again. If you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years or more, you've heard these things over and over and over again. And yet there's a newness about them every time you hear them because we have this this weakness in us to forget the things we really need to, 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 be, uh, to, re, to remember. That's why we have uh, our private Bible study. That's why we share with one another. I like getting with fellow Christians over lunch sometimes and just talking with one another. And I'm reminded of some things. I'm reminded of how my attitude should be sometimes as I'm talking with people. It's a, rem- it's a reminder so I don't forget the type of person that I need to be. And so that's what John is doing here. He's reminding us. He says, we know something here. And so when we say, well, do I know? Well, yes, you do know. You just need to be reminded. Do you remember might be a better uh, question. Let me give you a couple of uh, examples from chapter 2. This is some things we've, we've gone over. And I want to ask you this. Do you remember this? Do you remember this from chapter 2? Chapter 2, verse 3. Let's see if I have here. We know... That we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Did you remember that? Or had you already forgotten it? I mean, it's been a few months, I know. I know. <laughs> but this is something we looked at. And instead of me going into detail, let me just read my paraphrase on this. Where he says, and this is how we experience a daily, continuous, and growing knowledge that we actually have come to know him. And we still know him. We treasure, value, hold in the highest esteem his commands, which leads to obedience. That word obey means more than just obey. It includes obey, but it means we treasure God's word. We value God's word. We hold it in the highest esteem. And I know you do that because you're here. Some of you are here maybe because you're forced to, but you're the younger ones. The older ones, you're here because you want to be here, because you do esteem God's word. Look at uh, another example, chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, right there. Do you remember this? 
But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, we're, we, we haven't thought of that this week. But you're reminded of it. You go, oh, yes, that's true. And that's why we know these things, because we're continually reminded of them. The paraphrase. But those who continually treasure and guard and hold on to his word, his instructions, his perfect law. And those people, God's love meets its goal and purpose. That of obtaining maturity and completeness in him. This is how we know that we, have an, we are in an abiding relationship with him. Whoever says, I'm at home in Christ, must place their full dependency on him all throughout the journey of their life. You go throughout your life and you're not thinking every day, I'm putting my full dependency on, on Christ. I'm putting my full dependency on him. And yet you do. And when you're reminded, you're saying, yeah, that's right. Who was it? Uh, Rondell came up here a few weeks ago. And he was sharing how here he is, a big, strong, fit person who almost died about a year ago. I mean, just out of the blue, his, his kidneys start, start, started not working right. He was in the hospital. And when I went to visit him, I'm thinking, this is Rondell. He's going he's to pull out of this. He's strong. He's big. He's, he's a powerful person. And he said he almost died, you know. And so we and he said he learned one of the things he learned from that is every breath he's dependent on God. And we know that, but we forget it, don't we? And so that's why we come here and we look at these things. And when John says, you know, this, we turn around and say, well, I'm not sure. Yes, you do. You do know it. And that's why you're here. This particular no. Me in verse 14 is there's two different words that English translates to know. This particular word means a factual knowledge. One word in John is like knowledge gained from experience. You go out and you, you work on a car. I, I didn't know. I, I did not learn how to change spark plugs by reading a book. I learned how to do it by watching my dad and letting my dad show me how to. I learned it by experience. Now I have no clue how to do it. Look at an engine. They're all covered up. I have no clue where the spark plugs are. Someone else would have to teach me that. All right. And newer, newer cars. But I learn by experience, by getting my hands in there. That's one type of knowledge. There's another type of knowledge. And that means you've been taught it. You, you, you're, it's, it's almost, you, you could almost say it's book knowledge. And that's what this word here is, is saying. When he says, we know this, we know that we're passing life to death. It's, it's something you've been taught. And because you know this, you, in faith, you believe it. Um, God did not give you any kind of feeling so that you know this. Uh, you don't know this by experience, necessarily by experience on this. You're not looking for some experience to confirm this knowledge. This is factual knowledge. You were taught this and you came to know this by faith. And that's true when you look at this. There is, was a transition from death to life that occurred in your life when you, when you became a Christian. And you knew that not by some mystical something that happened to you. You knew it because you were taught it in God's Word. And as you were taught it in God's Word, you responded in faith. You knew that you were being called out of the world and you were called into a relationship with Christ. You knew that your sins were washed away, not because you saw sins washed away at your baptism, but because God's word says, I'm washing away your sins. You knew you had new life because God's word said it. And so, you know, in faith, 
You express that faith and repentance and in baptism, and that's what happened. And you knew you went from one place to another place. That's what this knowledge is. So let's look at these states. The state that you came from, the realm you came from, the realm that you're in. You know, the New Testament is written, was written to Christians. It wasn't written to those who were not Christians. It was designed primarily to take, to deal with situations or, or to deal with some encouragement that Christians needed. And, and, and we read it and we learn from it. We use it a lot of times to teach those outside of Christ what it means to be in Christ. And that's proper. That's fine. But it's primarily addressed to us. And so we find over and over the writers, every writer of the New Testament, keep reminding us. Now, listen, this is what happened to you. This is who you are. That's okay. Don't, don't panic. Don't come off. <laughs> I love that. It really does not bother me at all. It's just, it's fun to listen to the phones ring sometimes. It wakes everyone up around that area anyway. <laughs> it lets the preacher make embarrassed and publicly, you know, all this stuff. That's okay. <laughs> it's no problem. No problem, really. But the, but the Bible, as we go into the Bible, it reminds us who we are. The Bible says, this is how you live. This is how you Christians are living. It's not saying you non-Christians, this is how you are to live. It's saying you Christians, this is how you are to live. This is what you are to change. This is attitudes that need to be addressed in your life. The truth is there was a real and fundamental change when you became a Christian. And the Bible teaches us that. It tells us that. When you became a Christian, there was a real fundamental change that occurred in your life. There, at the same time, there's growth, there's maturity that goes along. But when you became a Christian, something changed. And because of that, we need a, a continual reminder. We need to know that this, this happened. We need to be reminded that this happened. And so he says this. What has happened is you have passed from death to life. When you became a Christian, you went from a realm called death, and you came into a realm called life. And there's, there's a glory in this statement that I think is so mind-boggling and so wonderful that unless we take the time to examine it, to meditate on it, this truth just kind of passes over our heads. We just say, oh, okay, life to death, or death to life, and just passes over our heads. A Christian is not someone who is a member of a certain church. Sometimes we think that. A Christian isn't someone who's reformed and has stopped doing bad things. A Christian isn't a nice fellow who used to be bad. Fundamentally, a Christian is a person who left a prior position and he's entered into a new one. And we see this over and over in the New Testament. He says in all different types of ways. It's leaving an old, deadly relationship and entering a new one that gives life. We've made a transition. We've gone from one kingdom to another kingdom. I like Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13 says this, For he has rescued us, listen carefully, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, the, of his Son, whom he loves. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's three or four sermons right in that verse. It's a beautiful concept that we've been rescued from a dominion called darkness. And we've been brought into a kingdom of his dear son. Things have happened in our lives. Our, ch- our thinking has changed. At one time, this physical life was really all we thought about. That's, that's where we are. And that's our temptation to, to hang on to this physical life. The, the, um, the word here is bios, the physical life, like biology. And at one time, that was of utmost importance. Uh, those of you who became a Christian uh, later in your life, you know this. At one time, that was the focus of your life, just what is here and now, the physical, getting what I can get, doing what I can do right now. That was the utmost importance. And now, as Christians, it's something we can enjoy. You can enjoy the physical life, but we don't put a, a preeminence on it. It's not that important in our lives. We've moved to a new life. It's called Zoe life, eternal life, spiritual life. And that's where our focus is now. That's what's really important in our life. This physical is passing. It's going to end. We know it. And we can enjoy it while we're passing through it. We can use the world right now, the things of the world, to glorify God. It's all fine and good. We're not, we don't sit around and think how terrible the, the world is. We can't enjoy anything. Yeah, enjoy life. It's fine. But that's not what's important anymore. We use those things to glorify God now. We walk through this life now. And we're looking at the spiritual, the eternal. And we know that's where our focus is. And you notice in verse 14 here, this transition is past tense here. He says, we have passed from uh, death to life. It's not something you're trying to do. A lot of Christians get this mixed up. We're trying really, really hard to get out of death. No, no, you have passed from it. It's happened in the past. You're not going to do it someday. This is not talking about heaven one day. You're in there right now. You have passed means, in this tense, it means it's something that happened in the past and has present results right now. Uh, we've moved, we've transitioned in the past from one sphere into the next. And the results of that, trans, that, that, that movement, that transfer in our life has present results right now. I begin to act the way I need to act based on this, this transition. Because I am in the kingdom of life. I'm in the kingdom of the life. I'm in the kingdom of his son now. I begin to learn what it means to live in that kingdom. And it's seen even clearer, you notice at the bottom there, the death and the life. In the, in the original language, that's what it says. The key, you have passed from the death and you've passed to the life. And the stress here is to show this, this, this marked transition. There's a kingdom called the death and there's a kingdom called the life. And we've gone from one to another. It's real. We at one time felt the power of the death. He is part of that on the the screen right now. Let's turn over. If you want to turn over that, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And notice this this change here. He says here in chapter 2 of Ephesians. I don't have the scripture out there. In fact, it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. He says, as for you, remember who he's writing to? He's writing to Christians, remember? As for you, you were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins. In your transgressions, your sins... That, that was the state of death in which you used to live, you used to live in death. He says, you used to live in the death. You used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So there's the kingdom there. 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratifying, this is what we used to do. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, just whatever our feelings said, that's what we used to do. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, here's the transfer. Because of what? His great love for us. That's beautiful. God, who is rich in mercy, what? Made us alive. We were in the death and now he's made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression. And he just goes, whoopee, at that point. That's what that means. It is by grace we're saved. That's what he's saying. It's an expression of hallelujah and whoopee and oh wow, all mixed up together. It's God's grace that has saved us. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. This is our present position. This is where we are right now. He's seated. Not one day he's going to do this, but he's seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where we are right now. Those who are in Christ, we are in the heavenly realms. How do I know that? Because God tells me that. That's how I know it. I didn't get a vision. I didn't get a feeling. I haven't gotten any kind of experience that I can say, well, there's, I, I saw myself go from one to the other. I know I'm in the heavenly realms because I believe that God, you know, God said it. That's where I am. And so I begin to live out that in my life. You know, it's important. The importance of, of changing these, this dwelling place. You know, I think about the death. And there's a lot of nice people living there. Have you ever struggled with the nice people living in the death? There's what we'd call good people living in the kingdom of death. And it bothers us. It bothers us when we see nice what we would call nice and good people. Sometimes we call they're, they're wonderful. They've been wonderful to us in our lives. And we think that they're in the death. How can that be? How can they be in, how can they be in the death? They're so nice. They're so wonderful. They're so good. The point is not how good they are. It's not how good we are. It's where we're living. That's God's point here. And the illustration is like this. There's a place called Syria right now. I've never been there. I hear it's a place I should not go right now. All right? A lot of death taking place there. A lot of, it's a war zone. People are being killed. And it would not matter if I was in Syria, if I made a trip to Syria. It would not matter how nice I am, how good I am, how kind I am. My mother would say, get out of that war zone. Right? <laughs> my mother, yes. My mother would say, leave that place. Get out of that place. There's death there. I'm going to be worried sick until you come home, until you leave that country. And that's what he's saying here. He said, there's a place called the death. And it doesn't matter if you're a good person. You're in a realm. You're in a place called the death. You know, every person was created in the image of God. All people have the spark of God in their life in some way. When we see this in conscience, their, their conscience hurts them. They, they, uh, want, they see what's bad, what's wrong, what's right. They see right behavior and wrong behavior. That all comes from God. They could be living in the death, and yet they struggle with doing what's right and doing what's wrong. But this is the reality of every person who's living in this danger zone, living in the sphere, sphere of death. They can't leave. They can't get out of it. 
And that's why it's called the lost state. It's a lost state, the Bible says. You know, Colossians that I wrote, read a few minutes ago, did you notice it when he said, He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. My goodness can't get me out of that death. My nice behavior doesn't get me out of there. I need someone to come and rescue me. And that's exactly what God did through Christ. He came and he rescued us. As a literal calling us out of the death into a place called the life. We have to realize that our goodness doesn't make up for our sin. Sin places us in this place called the death. And my goodness can't get me out of it. No amount of good behavior gets me out. And it's not because God is angry at me. It's not that God won't let me out of it. It's not that God doesn't care about my goodness, that I'm doing good things. But it's the reality that sin is so profoundly, has so profoundly marred our lives that we cannot repair ourselves. And that's why it's called the death. You stay there, you're going to be in the death. Good people and bad people have to pass from the death to the life. And how is that done? He told us in Ephesians, by a loving and gracious God. That's why he said, because of his great love for us, God's great love for us, and his rich mercy, he made us alive, the life in Christ Jesus. And it's through that recognition that Christ achieved for us when Varian and James were up here and they were talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, that we turn in faith to him, repentance, and we enter this place called the life when we're, when we're baptized into Christ. What stops people from doing that? What stops good people from going from the death to the life? I think it's a type of self-righteousness. Stay, stay with me for a minute. I'm not talking about looking down your nose self-righteousness, all right? There's, there's different types of self-righteousness. One is we kind of look down our nose at people and I'm better than you, all right? That's pharisaical, you know, self-righteousness, what we no, normally think of. But there's a type of self-righteousness where people are good and they're nice and it's preventing them from leaving the death. Because what they're looking at, they're looking at their goodness. And they are good. They do some good things. They're looking at their niceness. And they are nice people in so many different ways. But it's preventing them from leaving the death because they're not looking to God. The only way good people, and I'm, I'm putting quotes, you know that. No one's good. I know that. All right. We're gonna, there's a scripture here we'll throw up on the screen in a minute. There's no one good. Go ahead and put it up. There's no one righteous. Not even one. That includes the best of us, the good of us, the nicest of us. And when we look at our own goodness and our own niceness and our own sweetness and whatever that is, that self-righteousness will, will stop us from realizing, I need God. And, it's, and, and 1 John is so good at this, from bringing us to the self-focus that we have to a God-focus. He continually brings us back to a God-focused way of life. And so good people, nice people, if you're a good and nice person, 
And you say, well, how can God condemn me? It's because you're living in a place called the death. And God is calling you out of the death. And he says, I don't want you to be there. And because and I've taken my son and I've sacrificed him because he was good and righteous. And if you just place his faith in him, it's not your goodness that moves you to life. It's Christ's goodness that moves you to life. And I want you to come out of the death into the life. No matter how good you are or how bad you are. That doesn't matter. Move from the death to the life. And he's calling you out in his rich mercy and his great love for you. He's saying, leave that. I want you out of the death. And I want you into the life. There's an evidence of life. And that's called love. We're just going to touch on this just for a moment. We'll come back to it next week. Something supernatural happens to you when you leave the death and you move to the life. Again, I'm not talking about a feeling, but a fact. I'm not talking about some kind of experience that gave you an emotion, but an actual reality because God said this happened. A supernatural effect came into your life, and that's the capability for you to actually love like God. You have learned to love. You have learned and you are learning to love like God. You have God love in you. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, is love. Not the fruit of your life, but the fruit of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, so on. God gives it to you. And at the same time, you grow in it. Two things are happening. God has given you His Spirit. God has given you love. And you grow in it at the same time. Let me illustrate it this way. When you don't practice it. When you don't practice God love, this agape love that, he, that he, he talks about here, what happens? I've had several Christians over the years, many Christians over the years, and several Christ, uh, uh, Christians in recent uh, months have expressed to me their concern that they don't truly love certain Christians. I'm not sure if I love, you know, a, a fellow brother or fellow sister. And every time they do that, they express it with concern. They express it with a, a sense of guilt that they don't do it. And they wonder, does this lump me into darkness instead of light? Does this put me into the death instead of the life? Because, you know, I'm not really sure if I love. I'm not sure if I love old Jim there. I'm not sure if I, I love Tim. My question, I haven't asked this question to them directly, but my question to them is this. Why does it matter to you? Why does it matter? The very fact that it matters to you shows you're in the life. Think about this. The very fact that you're concerned and you have a conscience that's convicting you that you're not living in character with who you are is evidence of life in your life. You're sitting there going, why don't I love this person? Why don't I have a feeling toward this person? And as God convicting you because you do have God's love in your life. And you know you're doing wrong. And you know you need to be loving them better. And it's God convicting you that I need to do some changing in my life. Listen to this God love call in your life. You know that you're in the sphere of life. You know that you're in the realm of the living. You have left that kingdom of darkness, that kingdom of death. And you do love your fellow Christian. You don't love them all perfectly. You don't love them all the same. And you don't love them to the, to the degree that you want to and that you will one day. But you do love them. You really do. Now, you may not like them. 
And we're going to look at the difference between like and love. I, 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 think it's, I don't even think those words are related. In our English language, they're related. I don't think they're really related words. You can not like someone and love them with God love. Do you think God likes what you do sometimes? No, God doesn't like a lot of things about you. But you know, He loves you. You cannot like a lot about someone else, and yet you can still love them. We're going to go into that in, in more detail next week. You're not called to like everyone in your Christian family, but you are called to love them. And this love is not a feeling, but it's God love that's in your life that will take effect, and you'll do some specific things to love them. Next week, we're going to look at that polar extreme to Cain's approach to life. We read about not like Cain. 1 John 3.16 is very similar to John 3.16. Everyone knows John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And Barium asked this question as he led us in the Lord's Supper. He said, how, and he referred to that very thing. And he said, how willing are we to do this to one another? And guess what? John's going to show you a very practical way of doing it, of laying down your life. And we'll look at that. The origin of God love in our lives, the origin that the, that the, the motivation makes me produce God love in my life begins or is part of the beginning is realizing where I'm living. Where are you living? I'm living in not America. I'm living in the life of God. I'm living in the heavenly realms right now. I'm living in this realm called the life. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Paul said, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. I'm in Christ. I'm in the life. Ephesians said this, I live in the heavenly realms. That's a reality. That's where I presently exist right now. I'm a heavenly citizen. My passport, when I go traveling places, my passport says I'm an American citizen. The Bible says I'm a heavenly citizen. Guess what I really am? I'm really a heavenly citizen. That's my true, uh, my true citizenship. And this is not philosoph- uh, philosophical or theological goobly-gook or whatever you say. This is truth. This is truth that God reveals to us. And when I remember where I am, where I'm living, it will cause me to live out that life called the life. That's truly life, as he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the love of God will live in, in, in me. Let me go through the paraphrase to sum it up. And I'm, I'm backing up to verse 11 to get the context. And maybe this will help you see this whole section in context. For this is the news, the good news you heard from the very beginning of your walk in the light. This is the purpose and goal of the good news. We love one another. Not like Cain, he attached himself to that one who is actively opposed to all that is good and godly, the evil one. He butchered his brother. And why did he slaughter him? Because what Cain was doing was actively opposed to the good and godly. While his brother's actions were right. Brothers and sisters, don't be shocked and get all bent out of shape that the world actively opposes you. This is a fact we know. We have all left the realm of death and have moved into the sphere of life, evidenced by our love for one another. Anyone who does not practice God's love is in the realm of death. Hate your brother like Cain. 
and you're a manslayer. You know you can't go about killing others while at the same time having eternal life in you. This is how we came to experience and understand God's love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Thus we, in turn, ought to lay aside our lives to one another. If there are those among us that possess the world's good and observes, there's a brother or sister in need. Yet if he closes the door of his heart and shuts him out, how is it possible to say, I have God loving me? Dear, dear ones, let us not love, let's not let God love be simply words and theological concepts. God love acts, and it's the reality of our lives. We've been talking about the death and the life. If you're in the death and you're a good person, you're a wonderful person, you're the kind of person I like to hang out with, I'm calling you get out of the death. It's not your goodness. There's none of us are righteous, as the scripture says. And some of us are gooder than others. I know that. But we're calling, God calls all of us, no matter what degree of good and bad is in our life, no matter how, no matter how terrible we are, no matter how good we are, don't let your goodness, don't let your niceness prevent you from leaving the death and moving into the life. It's a wonderful place. God's love will be in you. You'll be taught of God. And so we call you. The elders are going to come up in a moment. And if you want to respond to God's invitation and faith and repentance, like young man last week put on the Lord in baptism, washed his sins away. He is now in the life, walking in the life. And we invite you to do the same. Come as we